Hello, and welcome to Eyes on Success, a weekly program covering a wide variety of topics of interest to people with vision loss. I'm Nancy Goodman Torpy. And I'm Pete Torpy. This week, we'll be talking with a blind author who writes books about blind folks and even wrote one about herself. We'll speak with Phyllis Campbell, a prize-winning author who started writing as a young child and has written a number of books, including both fiction and nonfiction, as well as magazine articles. But first, for our tip of the week, this week's tip comes from Phyllis Campbell. Of course, I had an agent tell me once that no publisher would ever buy a book with a blind protagonist. Well, we know that's wrong. We know that's wrong. <laughs> but they say write what you know best, and blind people are what I know best. And when we talk with Phyllis, you'll learn about how she portrays some of her blind characters and how interesting the portrayal turns out to be. As well as some of the reactions she's gotten from editors to whom she has submitted manuscripts. You are listening to Eyes on Success. Success, 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 success. Let's start by meeting Phyllis. I'm Phyllis Campbell. I live in Virginia, and uh, I am totally blind. I was educated at the Virginia School for the Deaf and Blind at Lynchburg College in Lynchburg, Virginia, and I've taken writing courses with Hadley Institute, with Creative Writing Institute, and uh, the University of Wisconsin in Madison. And you've been interested in writing since you were a young child, right? Yes, I have. And we'll talk a little bit more about some of your books later on, but are you still writing these days? Yes, I am. I've started a new book, a sequel to the one that was released late in 2017. And what else do you do for fun? Well, my hobbies are knitting and reading and playing the organ. I'm the organist at one of the downtown historic churches here. I'm also on the uh, executive board for our talking book center, uh, which I'm, I'll have to just, if I may, to our horn a little bit. Absolutely. It was chosen as the second, well, there were two that were chosen as sub-regional libraries of the year. We're real proud of it because we're sort of a small library and we're really proud. We've worked hard at it. Oh, that's great. Eyes on Success is made possible in part by our corporate partners. Underwriting pairs the impact of targeted marketing with the integrity of community goodwill. Learn more by sending an email to hosts at eyesonsuccess.net. This week's focus topic is Phyllis's writings and how she portrays blind characters in some of them. Well, I just finished reading your book, Friendships in the Dark, and I thought it was quite fascinating. This was kind of a memoir of your life that you wrote in the late 90s, I guess. Yes. And what impressed me about that book was 
the prologue really stuck in my head because you talked about how despite the fact that you were blind since birth, that that really didn't make a difference, that you saw the world in many other ways. And in fact, you started out the book by being very descriptive of the environment around you. Can you talk a little bit about being blind and perceiving the world in such a way that it really doesn't make a difference? Certainly. I think that people frequently ask this, by the way, and it's something that is not always easy to describe. However, I think that the average writer sometimes does not call on their other senses as much as they might. Very often, they don't describe how things feel, the the feel of the sun on your face, as I say in my description of my writing. I feel the sun on my face, I see joy, I see beauty in so many things. And it's interesting to me that so often sighted people will say to me, we think you describe so well, how do you? Well, how do you? It's very hard to describe. I think that I sit and I think about it, suppose I were there. How would I describe this room? And, of course, the sighted person would be describing the wallpaper where I might describe the way it sounds, the way sound comes through the room. Uh, The carpet or the hardwood under my feet will feel. Even how does the room smell? I know in one of my books, Out of the Night, this young blind woman goes into a reception hall and the first thing she notices she said she smelled spices and she smelled coffee and she felt the carpet under her feet the sighted person wouldn't have described it that way of course at least most wouldn't because they simply don't think about it well you know funny you should mention that we recently took a vacation in Mackinac Island in northern Michigan and Mackinac Island is very famous for not having any motor vehicles except for their ambulance and their fire truck and so most transportation is on horse and Pete wrote the most hysterical description of our time on the island focusing extensively on the aromas And we sent it to city council, and they're like, oh, well, you know, everybody else thinks the horses are quaint. (laughs) Oh, yes. Well, I think what happens, as you say, if people do have sight, they get a lot of their information through the visual world. And they tend to rely on that and often ignore their other senses. But there's a lot of information coming in those other channels if you just pay attention to them. Absolutely. In fact, our minister Sunday morning was saying this. He said, you know, uh, in many ways, Phyllis sees a lot more than we do because she calls on senses that we don't even think we have. Right. I've often written diary entries when we're on vacation traveling and sent them back to friends back home. And sometimes when I get back home, I've had the comment, Boy, it sounds like you've seen these things. How will you? I know you were there, but you know you didn't really see these things. And I tell them, 
you know, I'm mostly listening to my environment around me, feeling what's around me, relying on Nancy's descriptions of what's around me, and then integrating all that into kind of a total sensory package. But this is, is uh, something, as I said, that people comment with me. They say, uh, how do you, you've never seen, how do you describe these things? And I don't even think about it. I will admit that it is something that I have worked on very hard because to write uh, and write a lot, as I do, it is a handicap never to have been able to see, but it can be done, as I, I think I've proven. But you do have to work. I think you have. Your books are very descriptive. You really get the sense of being in the situations and the environments that you're describing in your books. I gather you've written quite a few books. Can you give us a quick overview of what books you've written? Of course. A nice little romance called Come Home My Heart was actually my first book published back in the 80s and republished in uh, 2001. So therefore, a lot of people think that was my first one. Then the second one was Friendships in the Dark, and that book was published in hardcover, softcover, large print, and we did the Chinese rights. We sold the Chinese rights, and we sold the right to reprint in the United Kingdom. So that was really my biggest accomplishment. Then I wrote a mystery called Who Will Hear Them Cry, which deals with a woman who was a detective, and uh, she testified in court, and the father of the young man that she testified against was definitely a psychopath, and he killed her husband and blinded her. And this story is how she just simply went into a technical world. She sat playing computer games all day until her former partner persuaded her to go to a school for disabled children that especially had blind children there and see what was happening because there were many accidents and one of the children had actually been killed. So that's your base story there. So this blind protagonist became a bit of a detective? Yes, she had been a detective before she lost her sight. And that book really is fun. And what other books have you written that you'd like to share with our listeners? Well, let's see. Then I did a young people's book uh, about a young girl who lost her sight. And I did another sort of a, oh, I don't know, it's not really fantasy. It's more supernatural which I like very much, called Out of the Night. And then my latest book is uh, Where Sheep May Safely Graze, which is an inspirational book dealing with a minister who went to Iraq as a chaplain and lost his sight there. And this book tells about how his congregation really did not support him and he and his wife ended up going into a mountain town and this tells how 
he learned to accept his loss of sight. And he realized that in the mountains where he and his wife were really serving this very small church is where they belonged. And then, as I say, I'm doing a sequel to that. Where do you get the ideas for your books? And they just seem to sort of pop up. Now, when I was writing short stories, which I did for a good many years before I wrote a novel, I often got little ideas from the news. And maybe someone would say something that would just snap and, oh, that would make a very good story. Now, um, Out of the Night, which is the supernatural book, did have someone give me an idea. A friend of mine, Ed Thurston, we were at dinner one evening, and I had been doing an article on the lot of women in the 1800s. And I said, but how horrible it must have been for blind women because a lot of other women, you know, it was terrible in a lot of cases. But think of what it was like for blind women. Right. They had two strikes against them, right? Being a woman and being blind. Yes. And especially, I said, someone who is ambitious like I am. And Ed started to laugh, and he said she wouldn't even stay dead. Oh, geez. (laughs) And this book does deal with this ambitious woman in the 1800s who worked so hard to improve the lives of blind women. And her spirit did not want to stay dead. She kept looking for a body And there was a man, I won't go into it because it would take forever, but there was a man who simply was determined she wasn't going to come back. And each time she possessed a body, he managed to see that it was killed. Oh, geez. (laughs) What an interesting assortment of books. So I'm curious, you've been writing books and short stories and presumably um, nonfiction articles for decades, and the technology you've used must have changed dramatically (laughs) over the years. It has. I was laughing because the first piece that I ever wrote, now granted it was very short, but I wrote using a slate and stylus. Oh, oh, my gosh, I hope it was short. <laughs> oh, ouch. <laughs> that could be hard work. <laughs> and uh, then, of course, I used a, a Braille writer mm-hmm. and went to the typewriter, of course, just as I did with the piece I wrote with the Slate and Stylus. I never had a proofreader. I used to say that either I typed better than I thought I did or the editors all felt sorry for me because I never did have a proofreader. So if you wrote this all in Braille, you eventually had to get it to some sighted person. What made the transition from Braille to something that some of these publishers could read? Well, I typed it. I took my Braille copy to the typewriter. Oh, I see. I remember my first typewriter was an old Smith Corona manual. Oh, that's almost as painful as using a slate and stylus. Indeed it is. But as I say, I would do it in Braille and type it and send it 
wherever I had chosen to send that particular piece. And presumably now you're working with some sort of word processing software and a screen reader. Oh, yes. I'm using Microsoft Word. Yeah. It was interesting. When I was in elementary school in a school for the blind, they taught every blind student to type just so that they could interact with teachers and others later on in life. So it turned out to be a very valuable skill, especially now that everybody is using computers and typing. Yes. So the real question is, starting where you were, um, oh my gosh, I mean, dot by dot creating an entire literary work until now where presumably you're a pretty good touch typist and you get immediate feedback with your screen reader, how has that impacted the creative process and how free you feel to make corrections as you go? The way I write, I do it first using Microsoft Word, and I have a Braille note touch. So I bring up my Word document on the screen. I also put it on my touch, and I go through reading the Braille from my Braille Note Touch. When I find something I want to change, I can find that spot in Word and make my changes. So, but where the creative process is concerned, I don't think that it's any different. I usually play with an idea in my mind for quite a while before I actually put it together. But it does make it so much easier now if I want to make a change. If I want to make a chapter longer, for instance, or I think, no, it probably should stop back there a couple paragraphs away. But where the actual process, the literary process is concerned, it's no different. It must have been a lot harder to make the corrections when you were punching these out in Braille, though. You just don't erase the Braille and copy and paste and things like that. Yeah, it was difficult. I, I'm not going to say that it was easy because you had to do a lot of actual rewriting or if I saw a place that I wanted to change, I just put a note out to the side and then when I took it to my faithful old Smith Corona, I could read the Braille and I'd say, oh yeah, I wanted to change that to so-and-so. So you could make the corrections at that time when you were doing the printed copy. Yeah. That makes sense. Well, you know, any of our younger listeners probably think we're all antiques, but back in the day when we were all typing on typewriters, the phrase cut and paste, we used to do it with scissors and tape. You know, if you had written something and you wanted to move a paragraph, you just cut it out and you <laughs> taped it where you wanted it. But we blind people couldn't do that. Right. Yeah, well, it wasn't very elegant for us sighted people either. I don't think there's an editor who would have accepted that, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> Once the book is all put together or your story is all put together and typed out, it has to be another big hurdle to get it out to publishers and accepted by a publisher. Can you talk a little bit about that process and how it works? Yes, my first 
book, which, as I told you, was Come Home My Heart, I had sent it out to Avalon Press, and the editor, Barbara Brett, wrote back, and she said, this is not for us, but what I'd like to see is the story of a young woman, a career woman, who loses her sight, and I'd like to see how she managed with the man in her life and with her career. So she said, I can't promise you will buy it, but I think I will, because you write well. So she was essentially asking for a totally different book than you submitted. A, a totally different book. So I said, well, you know, I'll try. And I did. That book almost wrote itself. And uh, she sent me a contract as soon as she got it. Wow. Then the next book that I wrote was Friendships in the Dark. And that book fell in my lap. I've been very fortunate in a lot of ways because Barbara opened up her own printing house, a small press, and she called me one evening and she said, I want you to do a memoir about your life and all the animals that you've had because I love animals. And I said, oh, Barbara, for goodness sake, I don't have anything to write about. And she said, well, try. Do an, a rough outline and send me a couple chapters. And let's see if I think it's worth our printing it. And sure enough, she was very pleased with what she saw. And she sent me a contract and an advance against royalties. From what I gather, you've also self-published some of your books? Yes. The next books that I did, I self-published. Yes. So overall, you've been pretty fortunate then, because often you hear stories about authors struggling to get some publisher to pay attention to the book and sending it out to dozens of publishers and getting all these rejections. Oh, I won't say I didn't struggle. I did. You have to work at it. And this is the trouble with a lot of would-be writers. They think, oh, this is so wonderful. I'm going to send it out. And someone will certainly buy it. Of course. <laughs> but it doesn't work that way. Based on your experience, what other valuable advice do you have for authors? My best advice is, first of all, realize that it's not going to happen overnight. You're going to have to work, and you're going to have to work hard, and you're going to have to start out small as a rule. There are few people out there who sell a bestseller the very first time around. And the most important thing, I think, is don't get discouraged when you get those rejection slips. Just think, well, maybe someone that's going to pay me more will buy it. So just keep plugging away then, right? Just keep plugging away and study some writing. The main thing, as I say, that people simply need to to just keep trying and prepare themselves, think of themselves as professionals. Well, when you talk about thinking of themselves as professionals, I think a lot of people sort of skip that step. I mean, 
it seems to me if you're a real author, it really takes work. And maybe you have to sit down from nine to five and actually crank out stuff or at least set aside a specific working time during the day and really consider it to a certain extent a job. Yes. Sometimes it just takes hard work. And your success in writing and publishing these books is a testament to what hard work can accomplish. You are listening to Eyes on Success. Success, 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 success. Now for this week's final item, how to contact Phyllis Campbell and how to get her books. So if people would like to contact you with questions, where would you send them? I would prefer that they send them by email. And my email, I have two. One is Campbell, C-A-M-P-B-E-L-L, Phyllis, P-H-Y-L-L-I-S, 1-7 at gmail.com. That's Campbell, Phyllis, 17 at gmail. The other is P-C-A-M-P-B-E-L-L, 1-6 at Verizon. V-E-R-I-Z-O-N dot net. How could people get your books? All my books that are still in print can be found at www.amazon.com slash author, A-U-T-H-O-R, slash P-S-C dash books dash all so that's amazon.com slash author slash psc dash books dash all do you have a social media presence yes i do i have a facebook account i have my author page is phyllis staten campbell Staten being my middle name, and that's the name, by the way, that my Where Sheep May Safely Grace is written under because there's another Phyllis Campbell on Amazon. And my niece said, I don't think you want to be confused with her. And then, of course, Patty, tell it to the world. Also, I'm on a couple of blogs that she's on, and then she also puts them over on other things she's doing, some of my publicity. And we just recently did a show with her, so if people want to hear that, they can check our archives. She and I have become very close friends since she started doing this work for me. Well, it sounds like she has been a useful resource to you also in terms of getting the word out. She has. And people should also know that a number of your books are also available through the National Library Service for the Blind and Physically Handicapped in audio format. Yes. So if you'd like to connect with Phyllis, if you have questions for her, or if you'd like to find some of her books, or if you want to connect with Patty Fletcher, who helped her publicize her books, go to the show notes associated with this episode at www.eyesonsuccess.net. That's it for show number 2002. Next week on Eyes on Success, we'll be talking about communicating using 
Zoom. Zoom is a powerful communications tool that has gained a lot of popularity over the last few years. The software can be run from a desktop or a mobile device for video or audio conferencing, chat, and webinars. We'll speak with Carter Jenkins, a customer success manager at Zoom, about the accessibility of Zoom and some of its features. You've been listening to Eyes on Success, hosted and produced by Nancy Goodman Torpy and Peter Torpy, and distributed by WXXI Reach Out Radio. You can access the full archive of previous shows, subscribe to the podcast, and much more by going to our website, www.eyesonsuccess.net. If you have questions about anything you've heard on the show or have suggestions for future shows, send an email to hosts at eyesonsuccess.net. Thank you for listening and have a nice day.